With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. Elena Davies from Deliveroo, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to you. Elena, how did uh, you end up at this interesting, exciting role at Deliveroo? Tell us a little bit about your background. Um, You know, sometimes I look back and I wonder, how did I end up here? (laughs) Um, So I'm going to try to keep it short because it's a long story, but... I'm from Valencia in Spain, and when I finished uni, I decided to go traveling around Australia, which is a fairly vegan-friendly country. Uh, This was in 2014, and I moved to Melbourne in 2015 into a shared house with two vegans. And 2015 was actually when I first heard about vegan, veganism, plant-based eating. I actually had never heard about it before I went to Australia. Um, So I watched Cowspiracy, Forks Over Knives, and I must admit, I didn't change my habits straight away because um, I was a very typical Spanish eater who loved jamón and meat and cheese and all of those things. But something did uh, click inside me and I started doing a lot more research and reading. I did a plant-based nutrition course um, because I was just really interested, particularly in the health benefits of it, uh, but also climate and obviously I didn't want to hurt animals either. So anyway, whilst all of this was happening in my personal life, I was working in the international education industry, so nothing to do with food. But eventually in 2017, my partner and I, um, his name is Rowan. Rowan's from Melbourne. So we moved um, to Spain together in 2017. And then he got offered a job in London. And so we moved to London and I decided to quit my job for the Australian company I was working for and go traveling for three months. But as things happen, (laughs) things always happen this way. Um, Two weeks before I was meant to go traveling, I found this position at Deliveroo um, to be a senior account manager and manage relationships with some of the, you know, coolest uh, restaurant brands in London. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go traveling. So I'm just going to try if I get it great. If not, who cares? (laughs) So sure enough, I got it. I still got to go traveling for 
five weeks instead of uh, three months. And yeah, I started as a senior account manager, got to know, got to work with really incredible brands. And little by little, we realized um, that there was an opportunity in the plant-based space that we hadn't necessarily explored before. And I don't think other companies had explored previously either in the food delivery space. Um, So... Yeah, I essentially mixed my personal interest with a huge market opportunity and my role as a head of vegan category, which is what I do now, um, was born, which was amazing. That is such an interesting story. I mean, um, before we get into how that happened, um, I think for the, I mean, I'm sure most of our, all of our European listeners are pretty familiar with Deliveroo and, and what it does, but perhaps some of our American listeners might have not heard of it or are not clear on what the business model is. Can you just tell us more about Deliveroo? Yeah, sorry, I should have probably started um, with that. Um, So we are a food delivery company. We, our headquarters are in London Uh, but we're present in eight other countries globally. And so what we do is we deliver food from the best local restaurants and grocery shops to consumers via our rider network. So if you're at home and you're hungry and you can't be bothered cooking, uh, you can just order some delicious food from restaurants or order your groceries and then cook at home. Um, There are loads of delivery companies in the US, so hopefully people are familiar with this industry. But I think what makes Deliveroo really special is that um, everyone working here is so passionate about food. (laughs) We are a tech company and our tech is amazing. And I mean, that's something we get a lot of recognition for from the brands we work with. But if you ask any brand in the UK or any of the markets where we operate, generally what they say that makes us unique is our people because genuinely like pretty much everyone here is, is a foodie and it's so, everyone's so passionate about the actual food, which is what people on the other end of the platform, you know, want and, Mm -hmm. and are using us for. And I think that makes a huge difference. Obviously we're a business and we care about all of the other business Mm -hmm. metrics, but it's, it's the people and it's how much we care about giving our customers what we want to receive as well as customers. Um, so yeah, that's us. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, you're similar to, I would say Uber Eats or Grubhub or DoorDash in the U S there are some similarities, at least overlap on the restaurant side of things. Yeah, similar but better. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're not yet in the US, obviously. We're not. We're not. Um, I think the US is just such a competitive and, and like huge market that for now we're just focusing on really dominating in the markets where we operate, and then mm-hmm. we'll see where life takes us. Yeah. Okay, so I'll go back to what you mentioned earlier about how you got this um, role at Deliveroo, and then eventually. Uh, identified this opportunity that maybe uh, the platform was not tapping into the potential in the vegan category. Where did that come from? Did that, obviously you were passionate about it personally, um, but was that also something that the data started to reveal from purchase behaviors? Absolutely. Um, Any business decision we make 
has to be backed <laughs> by data. Um, so it was a combination of the two. It was me um, learning more about this space and then doing a lot more digging into our data and realizing that actually there was something here. Um, and so originally it was almost like a side hustle um, on top of what I was doing as a as an account manager, I was just, I made it my mission to improve um, the user experience mainly. So things like tagging, for example, this was back in 2018 when a lot of restaurants and brands were not necessarily familiar with the differences between vegan and plant-based and vegetarian. And so as a customer, essentially, I was sometimes struggling to find the food I wanted to eat. So I thought, I'm surely I'm not the only one, right? Um, and the UK is well known for being a, you know, a, a plant-forward country. So I started working with our product team to optimize how we use our labels and our tags and make it easier for consumers to find these options and then really build that confidence. And, and just almost like through our product, sharing a very clear message that we care about this and we understand it and we're, you know, working really hard to make it as easy as possible for you to find these options. Um, so, yeah, originally it was, it was like my side hustle backed by data and then the market continued to develop. This was 2018. Then throughout 2019 is when it wasn't necessarily as official. It was just me working with different uh, teams internally trying to, to improve certain things, but then everything boom, boomed in, in 2020. I think that was the year when plant-based exploded. Um, yeah. and so it was, you know, triple digit growth every month and new product development as well. It was just unbelievable. I, I feel super privileged to have lived and seen that from the inside because it was really exciting. It was a completely new category and all brands, regardless of their size, their positioning, everyone wanted to, know, wanted to know more and a lot of them invested in it uh, and developed really incredible products. So, so it was amazing. So at a high level, what have you seen? Um, can you give us like a overview of the demand for the category since 2018? And um, also maybe if you can talk about the UK, but also about some of the other regions that you operate in and how... How, is, how different is the picture, say, in other parts of Europe versus UK? Hmm. Um, UK is by far and away the number one country when it comes to plant-based eating. Um, I actually look after the UK and Ireland um, regions, so I don't have, to be honest, the latest data on what's happening across other markets. But from what I know from the wider plant-based industry. I know mm -hmm. that places like, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong, and increasingly Italy and France as well, they're really catching up. So before the UK, um, so as I said, 2020 was the um, year where we saw the highest growth, but also because obviously the starting point, the, you know, the, the previous year, 2019, hadn't been as big. So growth numbers were very PRable. <laughs> um, um, and then, yeah, I think like throughout 2020, incredible growth as well. Penetration increased a lot and we saw, so I think roughly 
about 13% of our orders contain vegan items, which is pretty good, in my opinion. Right. Um, but yeah, I think like, so 2020 highest growth, 2021, obviously with COVID, everything was a little bit messy, but continued to, what's happened since 2020 is that growth has slowed down a little bit, but penetration continues to grow and demand overall. It's really interesting because unfortunately off the back of COVID and with the current, you know, challenging macroeconomic circumstances, Mm -hmm. a lot of brands have had to either close down certain sites or even, you know, terminate um, for good. So what we've seen is that demand for vegan overall remains strong, but whereas a couple of years ago, a lot of the uh, trade was being delivered by fully vegan brands, this is now being split across thousands of brands that now are not fully vegan, but offer vegan options. And this ranges from, you know, your local pizza, um, Napolitan pizza place to your QSRs, to your grocery store. So there's a lot more supply and demand remains strong, but at the moment, um, supply is outpacing demand. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of led into what my next question was going to be, which is where was the increase in supply coming from? Was it new vegan restaurants launching or was it an addition of vegan items onto existing menus? In a way, I think the latter is more exciting. I mean, not to say vegan restaurants are not exciting. As as a vegan myself, I uh, I find it easy to navigate a vegan restaurant, but that's just convenience. But what's more exciting from an um, impact standpoint is obviously the fact that you have uh, existing restaurants recognizing the demand for for vegan food. Plus, I think it's probably well-timed with the sort of increase in product innovation that's been happening in the last few years. So all of this has sort of happened around the same time, right? So where maybe a few years ago, even if there was a demand for uh, of all vegan cheese on a pizza place um the the cheese options available maybe five years ago aren't so exciting as compared to what's available now so i guess my question is really um initially were you seeing mostly vegan restaurants increase um or was it just more options generally across uh deliver so initially it was over the past couple of years it was more fully vegan places, which I absolutely love and I try to support as much as possible as well. But now it's coming from, as I say, like what we call vegan friendly places, right? Places that are not vegan, but that either have a couple of options or are, you know, making a really big effort to be as inclusive as possible and are even committing to 50% plant-based menus. And I fully agree with what you've just said for me that's what's really testament to, you know, the growth of the category and what consumers are demanding and and across generations, which is super exciting as well. It's not just millennials or Gen Z. There's older people as well that, whether it's for health reasons or for, you know, to, um, to do their bit for the climate, they're choosing to eat more plants. And again, it's not about being vegan or eating 90% plants. It's not about the percentages. It's about doing, you know, as much as you can and being aware of the 
I think the impact you can have as a consumer, because sometimes we forget that, of course, big companies are the ones that really need to step up and, and change the game. But as consumers, we have the ability to reduce our impact, our environmental impact three times a day, if not four or five. <laughs> so it's it's about doing your bit. And so that's where vegan friendly restaurants come in because they play a huge role in exposing people that have potentially never seen a plant-based dish to plant-based options that are not only as delicious and as exciting, but also in a lot of cases um, cost the same. So if you can pay the same price for something that you know is better for the climate and potentially even better for you from a health perspective, why not? Yeah. Do you have any, I mean, this might be tough for the data to show you, but perhaps you do have an understanding of your consumer base. What's driving these purchase decisions? And maybe it's different based on the demographic. Maybe for Gen Z or millennials, it is more climate. Maybe for, um, for older generations, it's, uh, it's, it's health. Is there any way for you to know that? Or do you have some insights? We've done a few um, surveys recently and the majority of the people will say all of the above. Um, but I, I think this particular survey I'm referring to was among people that either consider themselves flexitarian or are really into plant-based eating. So I think once you've taken that first step and, and you've explored this market enough, think what you tend to find out is that uh, we tend to find is that people potentially um, enter through health or animals or climate but then when they know enough about all the others then they care a lot so but I think generally speaking um, for people that are not um, flexi or vegan that don't identify with any of these labels mm -hmm. um, it tends to be health and climate I probably should have asked this question right in the beginning but from deliverer's standpoint obviously from a business perspective they noticed uh, a trending category they see that consumers especially uh, younger consumers are shifting in that direction they probably also are the ones who likely use the app more than anyone else so I can see all the right data points leading to we need to do more in this category. But is there also, say, um, a focus on, you know, you're a food delivery platform, um, food plays a significant impact on uh, climate change and the planet. Is it also part of Deliveroo's sustainability commitments to focus on this category? So when the idea was born, not necessarily. Um, it was more from purely wanting to um we're we say that we're customer obsessed and it's true mm -hmm. everything we do obviously has to be backed with data as i said but also we want to make sure that it's um that it's meeting or serving a customer need and we know that a growing base of our customers care about healthy eating which in many cases can be linked to plant-based eating not always but in many cases um, they also want to reduce their environmental impact so plant-based comes in um, and you know we tend to forget that on top of those reasons there's just a lot of people that love exploring new food and that's why we also that's when we um, tend to tap into plant-based as well because it's super exciting. It can be really exciting. So um, 
we that was originally why the decision was made. Right now, we're a lot more aware of you know the environmental impact of certain foods. We're currently actually undergoing our um, uh, level three assessment, and to be honest, we've again always using our data. We've asked our consumers um, what is it that they would like to see us focusing on from a sustainability perspective, and it's mostly food waste and food poverty because we have a huge rider network and a huge restaurant network. And so we can really leverage that to help people in need, which I think is an amazing thing uh, to be able to do. But also we know that we have a big role to play in at least helping brands really access this information and understand the potential of this market. And yes, absolutely today, you know, focusing on the vegan category in the way we're doing it um, is part of our, um, you know, our plans to our plans and our commitment to to sustainability. Yeah, in a, in a way, it's so Deliveroo is in such an interesting space, right? Because you sit in the middle between the supply and demand, but you can almost play a very pivotal role there to open up. Um, opportunities to connect the supply with the demand so which we know is usually the bottlenecks i mean all the data points to more consumers want to eat more plant-based food and in response to that there has been a, a rise in options over the years but sometimes the issue is the the food isn't getting to the right people there's no easy way to or there's not enough bandwidth between those those two endpoints um, and i think that's where you know I'm assuming majority of your focus goes is how do you unlock those capabilities through tagging, through easy search capabilities, through featuring certain dishes and restaurants. Um, and increasingly, that's as we've all seen that it's so much of uh, people's perceptions about vegan food um, is are, can be changed, right? And it's partly by showcasing that it's just new and exciting food that you can try that perhaps uh, you're going to do for health reasons first and then you realize it just tastes great and you want to keep eating it. So I, I find you sit in a very interesting place in the middle where you're, you're able to see both sides of it and then leverage that position to um, close the gap between demand and supply, which I think is super powerful. Yeah, and completely agree and another benefit um from where i sit is we see data almost instantaneously i i know what happened yesterday and the day before and the day before and the whole of this year whereas other co other companies have to purchase you know sales data from mm -hmm. um trends companies so I think having the ability to see what's happening in the market in real time is incredible. And we use this on a daily basis to then advise our partners um, and say, look, suddenly, you know, acai bowls. <laughs> Everyone wants acai bowls. So, you know, you should potentially consider this. And that's a silly example, but you can imagine how we use our data to then you know, help brands make the right decisions to ensure that what they're investing their money in, which is marketing and food development, really aligns with what consumers want. Especially since the restaurant business is just so hard 
And, you know, if you're sitting and just thinking of food in a vacuum without any understanding of, I mean, also it depends on the kind of restaurant, right? So if you're a high-end uh, restaurant, which, which um, uh, does, say, French food, you, you might not care about trends at all because you're not going to do an acai bowl because the data says that. But of course, that's not the vast majority of restaurants out there. Um, and so for most of them, the, that data can be so, so interesting and powerful. Um, so I know one of the things I do want to talk about is in, uh, I read that in 2017, Deliver was probably one of the first companies to get into the dark or ghost kitchen um, concept, also known as cloud kitchens. Um, and Deliver themselves launched a few uh, ghost kitchen concepts uh, what's uh, what's the state of that business and to what extent has vegan concepts entered into uh, what I believe is called Deliveroo Editions? Um, so yeah. tell me more about that business and if vegan food has also become a big part of it. Yeah, so as you said, um, we have our Deliveroo Editions, which are delivery-only kitchens or dark kitchens, like a lot of people call them. We have um, 16 in London and Eight, I think it is, in other cities like um, Brighton, Bristol, Manchester, etc. So generally speaking, in areas where we know there's high demand um, for uh, delivery, the business has gone from strength to strength in the last few years. Um, and the magic of it is it allows, again, we're connecting, right, consumers and restaurants. It allows restaurants to explore new market, new markets, sorry, without the, you know, the, the investment that generally comes with opening up a new physical site in a new location. So they get to do that at very, at, at no risk, essentially, and low cost. Um, and on the flip side, consumers that don't have access to some of the, you know, most loved brands in other areas now suddenly get to order them at home. So I think it's a brilliant concept. It's worked incredibly well for us. Um, and again, key differentiator, as you said, because we were one of the first movers. Um, from a vegan uh, food perspective, it's not something we've necessarily um, focused on through additions, but I guess it's just similar to platform-wide trends. Like a lot of the brands that uh, we work with on editions are very popular, well-known brands. And the majority of these brands already have one or a bunch of options because, again, they know that there's demand and, you know, you've got your families order, ordering together, sorry. You've got couples and individuals that, you know, again, might not be vegan, but the old they will want to order it. So it's actually hard to find a relatively well-known brand today that doesn't offer at least one vegan dish, which when I say it out loud, it's pretty <laughs> amazing because it was not the case a couple of years ago. So we're in a really strong position. Obviously, there's a lot of work still to be done. And now we have to go from offering one option to actually developing a really well balanced and inclusive you know vegan category on a menu or vegan menu um 
So I'd say, um, actually, a really good example is um, a brand called The Athenian, which is a Greek brand, Mm -hmm. and they have their regular menu and their plant-based menu, and they've done incredibly well through editions. So that's a really good example of a fully plant-based menu. Yeah, it's so interesting to see that now in so many places, at least. I see that here as well in the U.S. that uh, I, I recall like 10 years ago, it was very hard, um, especially when I traveled to Europe and uh, and parts of Europe where it was almost tough to find anything to eat. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. that has changed. And what's more interesting is that it's not just about folks like us who are looking to eat all vegan, but it's also majority of the people now who obviously are, are choosing the vegan items on menus tend to not identify as anything like vegetarian off vegan or anything so i think that's exciting because it shows obviously that is the reason the category is growing um i know we've been using the word vegan today which is interesting because uh there's been you know different reports on how one should um brand or categorize your products and i think in the u.s most of the research has pointed to perhaps at least in the retail space that um product should be identified as plant-based versus vegan because vegan perhaps turns people away. I'm, and and I know there's conflicting opinions on that. Um, it's slightly different in the restaurant space. And I think uh, people search vegan, but maybe identify uh, and are drawn to plant-based. I, I'm not quite clear yet on what, where consumers fall. I've personally, we've tried both in my own business um, and we find vegan actually works better um, than, than plant-based. And I think plant-based is something vegans use more than, than anyone else. Um, so I don't know what, what it is that you've seen in the UK. Uh, obviously, in your, in your case, it's clear that you're, you're using the vegan word and it hasn't turned people away. Uh, is that mostly driven by search behavior or uh, what other data has told you that? I'm glad you asked this question because it's arguably the first question everyone asks me <laughs> um, <laughs> when we talk about the you know, vegan category on Deliveroo. And hopefully this helps more people. But from what we see on our platform, vegan has more than 10 times more searches every month than plant-based. And I think it's, I, I would completely agree with what you said earlier. It's almost being used as a keyword to find vegan food or plant-based food. So when people go online and you can look at Google search trends, I think Instacart in the US um, shared their report as well. And they were, I was actually on a panel with someone from Instacart um, about a year and a half ago, and we were completely aligned on this. When it comes to online searches, vegan is the word consumers are using. Now that's not to say that then once they found the vegan product, if it's labeled as plant-based, that's where I think we need a little bit more information on, on what converts more. But I've, I'm yet to see negative data um, around vegan labels. So for now, until I see something else, something different, I'm going to continue recommending everyone to label products vegan online. Then in physical sites, grocery stores, restaurants, that's a completely different story. There are reports suggesting that plant-based resonates better with a wider, um, you know, with a wider amount of people. 
fine if that works. I think it's ultimately, it's a branding decision. Mm-hmm. And this is where a lot of brands get it wrong. Who is your consumer? What's your target audience? Who are you speaking to? Because if you're if you're a vegan brand and want to sell to vegans, I mean, it's a no-brainer, right? Yeah. But if you're not sure and you've got physical sites and online stores, then potentially you want to trial both and see how it works. But ultimately, it boils down to understand who you're speaking to and, they're, and then tailoring your um, menus and communications to them. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I mean, I in in my business, we have physical menus in, in stores that don't sell vegan items, but our menus are uh, all vegan. We identify it as plant-based because majority of the customers are like 90% plus are not vegan or vegetarian. But we've noticed that when they order from the menu, they'll, they'll say, give me the vegan uh, burger, mm-hmm. even though it doesn't say vegan on the menu. So I think... Maybe plant-based is is less threatening when you see it as a term, and maybe it, you know, the conventional thinking is that in the past when someone saw vegan, it would lead them to assume it's only for vegans because vegan is also a term of identity um, versus plant-based. No one says, um, maybe people say I'm plant-based, but I I don't know anyone who says that. Um, Yeah, I think there's also... So it's interesting. With plant-based, there's a little bit of confusion still, Mm. um... And I think this happens with, you know, when we talk among like industry peers, we all live in this bubble <laughs> in the plant-based world and we're so certain of, we know everything so well and we're so familiar with everything, but the average person doesn't. So when you see vegan, I think it's more likely than that people understand what that means than plant-based because we're now seeing plant-based used in many different ways, right? So again, it's a branding decision, but... Ultimately, to if you you know the the term that conveys one hundred percent clarity and also is more most searched is vegan. So yeah. I don't think you can go wrong there. Yeah, especially if the data is pointing to that, especially for online, um, you that's where you have to head. Uh, which is interesting because on our online menus for delivery apps, we say vegan, <laughs> so because we yeah. know that's that's what people are looking for. So. You know, you've and those trends might change. You just have to keep an eye on it. Um, another, you know, in the last few years, I felt like plant-based food or the vegan category, both in retail and food service, has like witnessed rapid growth. Um, it it was it felt like a few years ago, say going back to 2016, 2017, it was an emerging category, and then it just exploded with the rise of beyond meat as well as restaurants and this whole demand for this food uh, and then the pandemic felt like further pushed that uh, growth up astronomically however in the last year or so reports seem to suggest uh, and again i'm saying this in that tone because there's some uh differences of opinion on this matter that the that the category is cooling off and it, it, partly because maybe some companies are facing some struggles and perhaps too many products in the same category versus diversification. There are a multitude of reasons why that might seem like maybe plant-based is not trending upward like this hockey stick tri- type of growth that it had in the past. Um, uh, just, you know, broad question. What's your general take on what's happening? Is the maybe is that maybe more, more in the U.S. and is the U.K.? F- seeing different trends what is what is your take on the state of the plant-based industry in general 
Um, the UK, generally speaking, follows very similar trends to the US. Um, I think it's no secret to anyone that some companies are struggling. Um, as I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, a lot of vegan sites, uh, restaurant sites and brands had to close permanently off the back of COVID and are currently still struggling due to you know, utility bills more than tripling. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very challenging environment at the moment. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's due to demand dropping or con- interest in plant-based eating um, fading away. I think it's a result of, again, macroeconomic circumstances that are impacting business across all industries. And I think, you know, the media do a really great job at giving, they did a great job at giving the plant-based space praise when it was growing, but they're also doing a really great job (laughs) at um, diminishing it now. So my perspective based on what I see inside Deliveroo, what I hear from, you know, industry leaders in the UK is that we're going through a rough patch, but this space is only going to continue growing because the younger generations are demanding more plant-based foods because from a climate change perspective, there's probably going to come a time when we're really going to have to get serious about certain things, you know? And and again, more and more awareness around the health benefits of plant-based. So yes, it's a difficult time. Some companies, sadly, will not make it through the next year or the next couple of years. But the ones that do, I think, will absolutely thrive. And the ones that are bold and invest now, obviously, again, not everyone can, unfortunately, but the ones that can and make the bold investments and the bold commitments will reap the benefits. Mm-hmm. I think that's well said. So obviously, listening to you talk, it's clear that you're very passionate about the work you're doing and the vegan category and, and food itself. Um, I'm assuming the company you work for shares that passion, at least um, to a certain extent, maybe not from a, uh, (laughs) you know, maybe not as uh, into it as you are, but understands that that's the direction hopefully we're all heading in. Um, What what can we expect next um, from, you know, Deliveroo's focus on the vegan category or any, any projects that you're working on? What are you excited about in the, in the coming year? Um, I think it's not everyone shares the passion, <laughs> but they definitely are. Oh, it's just, again, one of the incredibly satisfying um, parts of my role, which is sharing my love for food with others. And what people are Deliveroo, people at Deliveroo are, again, is um foodies so if you go and tell someone about this incredible dish they they will want to try it whether it's plant-based or not um but ultimately as well as i mentioned earlier it's the it's you know it's the market opportunities how we're supporting our brands in this journey which is not an easy one as well so i think that's something our partners really really value um from us is that you know counseling and and almost the confidence to know that someone like me that has personally gone through everything, but also is part of the industry, they really appreciate our support. Um, 
when it comes to making investment decisions around this. And what we're working really hard on is um, providing our users with a much more personalized experience, which I think is what you're seeing across most marketplaces, right? Uh, when you go on Netflix, they they serve you right there exactly what you you want to watch, right? Okay. When you go on Spotify, they give you the music you want to listen. So on Deliveroo, that's exactly what we're doing and we're you know working hard to improve is essentially showing our consumers the options we know um, they're looking for across different, you know, different days of the week and different times of day because you're not going to be as likely to order a vegan burger at 9 a.m. as you will be at 7 p.m., right? So it's really understanding what is it that each of our consumers wants because that's another layer to personalization. It's not... Um, Obviously, you can group consumers in segments, but it's really getting super granular and giving Neil exactly what he wants and giving mm. Elena exactly what she wants. So that's where we're focusing our efforts in um, ensuring absolutely always the priority, making sure we've got an amazing selection of options across categories, not just vegan, but then really giving consumers the best experience so that they keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the very fact that Deliveroo has a role focused on this category, I think in itself is is just a sign of the times. Um, and it's very, you know, hopeful for, for the future. Um, how is, if you don't mind me asking this question, um, how is your success measured at Deliveroo? Is it based on in sales of vegan of the vegan category? Is it more uh, an advisory role? You know, yeah. Tell me more about that because it's a tech company after all. I'm sure they want to yeah, measure yeah. your success. Yeah, no, no, it's a it's a great question actually, and you know we're we're figuring it out every year. It, it changes, but I think so. Deliveroo is a super forward thinking company, and it's been amazing to work collaboratively with you know, senior leaders in the business. So we tend to sit down together at the end of the year and put together a plan for what we want to achieve. We normally work with really big goals and then bring them down. Um, so yes, we measure sales because I think, I mean, anyone, you know, in a similar business will know the importance of tracking order volumes and revenue and profitability, of course. All of those metrics are there. But what we want to achieve through this category is really that um, building that connection with our users. So we're exploring now metrics to measure engagement and brand love and affinity. Um, so it's, I'll tell you what, it's it's tricky to come up with <laughs> with KPIs every year, but it's it's just super interesting and Ultimately, again, we're really open to testing stuff. And sometimes we say, look, let's try this. And three months later, we realize it's not working and then we change it. So we're super agile and super adaptable. Um, but yes, the sales targets are always there because ultimately without them, we're, we just can't keep growing either. So, yeah. yeah. It's um, maybe maybe this is already something that is being considered or is being done. But, you know, the way I think about it, what's really 
interesting could be if um you know and to what extent that you have you are the biggest platform in that region so and if depends on how engaged you are with your restaurants you give the example of the greek restaurant that had a regular menu and then an entirely plant-based one what if deliveroo could if it doesn't do that already play a role in in advising and connecting restaurants with uh uh, distributors and suppliers and perhaps other companies that can come in and add all vegan concepts on top of existing restaurants or work with them as a way to driving more interest in sales. Because you are in that role where you can say, hey, listen, we've got data that proves that by adding five vegan items on your menu, you're going to lift your sales overall by a certain number. Um, and if you could play that you know, role in the middle, connecting the dots between uh, folks in the industry, it could be a really powerful place to be in. <laughs> so we're actually on it. Um, this is something we've been doing for a while. And again, probably one of the areas that um, where there's room for improvement. Um, but yeah, absolutely. As you say, like we're in a privileged position because we know what, you know, what direction demand is going, what um, what our brands are currently offering and what the gaps are. So that's a, that's a role we're already playing and we plan to uh, to continue to drive forward for sure. Yeah, and that sounds easier than it actually is practically to do. Yes. <laughs> um, it seems like a simple concept, but it is not because each restaurant's different. They all source ingredients from different places and, and mostly restaurants don't want to be told what to do. Um, but that's that's super interesting to hear about. I mean, it's just so clear that by having a focus on this, uh, Deliveroo can have such a positive impact. Um, and and the fact that they have a commitment to it shows that that um, that they understand the issue, they see the trends, um, and hopefully you can you can almost you can almost play the role of steering it in the right direction, even if it wasn't even if it was going to go there anyway. Uh, you can make it happen. You can accelerate the pace at which change happens, which I think is what's needed right now, given the state of our climate crisis and um, and the state of the world in general. So, yeah, that leads me to kind of my last question. Um, uh, I I give the year twenty fifty as the year we need to try to prepare for. Uh, Partly because, partly it's arbitrary. I mean, mostly it was based on the fact that we're projected to be about 10 billion people on the planet by 2050. If you look at all the stats about the, you know, impact of climate change, the its impact on land, food security, water. Um, if we don't change now, um, and I think this is the last gasp hope we have to change, we're going to be in a pretty bad state as a planet in the year 2050. Um but very clearly, we are trying to change. There's been attempts uh, by by food companies, the food industry in general. The very fact that the largest food delivery platform in in Europe is has got someone focused on the vegan category, which we know can have a significant positive impact uh, on food and the climate, tells us that we are attempting to bring about a change. Keeping all that in mind, um, you know, what do you hope people will be eating in 2050, and what do you think the you know, the food system will sort of look like then. And, and there's no right and wrong answers. Obviously, you can you can dream yeah. big. I wish I could predict the future. But, <laughs> um, so I would love to see people explore 
um, the amazing legumes and beans and, you know, soy and tempeh. Like, there's just such an incredible range. And for me personally, switching to a plant-based diet has changed my life completely. I not only feel so much better physically, I used to, you know, binge on food and all of those things just disappeared because in general... I mean, this is a personal experience, but it, it just, I think through plant-based food, you can really connect, you know, body, mind, spirit in a way that not many other foods allow. And how this makes you feel is really revolutionary. And so your energy changes, your mood, your focus at work. So I'm digressing a little bit, I know, <laughs> but it's essentially like, if people try more of these foods, they will feel better. And so for me, honestly, I have no, you know, intention or interest in converting everyone to being vegan or anything like that. For me, it's like, find what works for you, but please really explore the plant kingdom because it's incredible and it really has the power to change your life at home, at work, physically, mentally. So, yeah, I mean, and then obviously like cultivated meat, super exciting Mm -hmm. Um, and all the plant-based alternatives as well. I think they are going to continue um, growing and driving uptake. So for me, they're amazing. Like I love my favorite thing when I wasn't vegan was eating. I'm a super basic cook. I like, I love cooking, but I don't necessarily have that much time during the week. So for me, like boiling a little bit of broccoli and then having some vegan chicken on the side, sometimes it's just like the way it used to be. <laughs> so, you know, those plant alternatives um, are really awesome to really help people make the transition and continue to enjoy the foods they love. So I hope we continue to see a variety of options, but ultimately what I hope is that more and more people eat more plant-based more often, whatever that means for them. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good goal to have. Well, Elena, this has been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you for all your insights uh, and for all the work that you're doing uh, and for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. And hopefully my predictions for 2050 are, <laughs> are right. But yeah, yeah people need the... to eat more plants. That's always a good thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And thanks for the work you're doing as well. It's amazing. And, you know, having access to all of these insights from a lot of really interesting and, you know, cool people in the industry is awesome. So thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, all you have to do is subscribe to the show and rate and review it. To learn more about this podcast or my work, go to eftp.co. That's eftp.co. Thank you for listening.